Hello and welcome. My name is Sebastian Richard and I'm your host of the Thriving on Purpose broadcast. Tonight's subject, we're going to be talking about preparing for the great transfer of wealth. And of course, with a subject like that, it's a, it's a, it's a big subject. Uh, it's controversial for some. It's unknown for others. So we're going to dive deep. We're going to look at uh, what the great transfer of wealth is and how you and I can prepare for it. Because uh, I believe, this is my personal uh, conviction, that it is coming to the body of Christ and that it's coming to the body of Christ in the end times. And I believe that we are right now in the birth pangs, most probably, if not already more advanced than that. So uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, that uh, the go this gospel of the kingdom would be preached to all the world and then the end would come. Now, there's there's a there's a lot of ramifications to this statement, and I believe that one of the ramifications concerning the preaching of the gospel of God of the gospel of the kingdom to uh, to all the nations of the earth, one of the ramifications that most people don't talk about or don't really consider is that spreading the gospel requires money. And I know it's, it's, it sounds to some, it sounds like, what are you talking about? I can talk to my neighbor about Jesus Christ. I can talk. Yeah. You, on a small scale, it's, it's, it doesn't require money. You can talk to your friends, you can talk to your family and that's fine. But just for a broadcast, like I'm doing right now, it required some money to put forth. Uh, I have to buy the, the right equipment, a microphone, a camera. I have to buy a, a special light for, for, for lighting. And I'm not, it's not a professional studio, as you can see, but there's stuff that we have to purchase. There's a computer that we're using. So there's stuff that we have to purchase just to get the message out on a wider scale than just my friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, et cetera, et cetera. Now, uh, and, and uh, I speak about these matters in uh, the book that's on the, on that side of your screen, that book right there, uh, Five Reasons God Wants You to Prosper. I speak about these matters in more detail. I talk about uh, all the misconceptions that most believers have about money and the kingdom of God and how God views money, how he wants us to view money, and how it's good for us to view money in order to advance the kingdom of God. So in that book, I actually go through all the mindset issues that believers might have concerning money in the kingdom of God and how to use money, uh, how to view money, especially uh, how to have the right mindset concerning money. So I talk about these things in the book and it's very, very uh, useful to uh, basically uh, bring down strongholds, um, erase lies from our mindsets because we have a lot of lies and I'm going to cover this in tonight's broadcast. There's a lot of lies that the, the devil has been uh, really rejoicing in telling the body of Christ concerning money that has been hindering the progress of spreading the gospel. So the subject preparing for the great transfer of wealth. Well, obviously, uh, the first question that most of you might have on your minds is, what is that? What is the great transfer of wealth? And I'll get to that in just a second. But it's something that we've been hearing a lot about recently. Uh, I've noticed, uh, uh, I've heard it from many, many uh, different prophetic voices, uh, trust trustworthy people, people who love the Lord, people who walk with him, people who talk to him uh, many hours a day, who hear from him, and uh, people who are not 
out there, crazy prophets uh, with crazy doctrines, very, very uh, grounded in the scriptures kind of people. They've been talking about the great transfer of wealth. And one of those people who is not with us anymore, who I think passed away in 2016, I might be wrong, uh, was C. Peter Wagner. And he wrote a book, and I'm holding it here in my hands, and I'm going to show it to you. It's called The Great Transfer of Wealth. Well, what a big surprise, huh? <laughs> Tonight's teaching is not really based on his book. It's more based on the concept of his book, which is gaining traction, as I said before. But it's, fun be it's funny because the subtitle, that you might not have seen just now, it says financial release for advancing God's kingdom. So that is uh, the crux of what the great transfer of wealth is. But I believe, and so did Peter Wagner, and so did Morris Cerullo, who was also not with us anymore, that before the end comes, there's going to be two fronts going on, okay? And of course, the front that we're familiar with, with when you talk about end times, you're talking about the tribulation, you're talking about uh, tremendous cataclysms, tremendous things happening on the earth that are going to, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And there's going to be a tremendous death toll and it's going to be horrific. So there's going to be that on one hand, but then on the other hand, there's going to be people here who love the Lord and they are his own. And God has a plan for these people. And he said himself that he wanted the gospel of the kingdom to be preached all throughout the world, and then the end would come. Well, guess what? He's going to do some things in their favor. God's going to show, God, God can do two things at once. And that's something that I want to emphasize here. God can uh, bring a tremendous, uh, horrific judgments and cataclysms on the one hand, but on the other hand, he can show tremendous favor and mercy and love to his own. As he, as he judges the wicked, as he, as he brings uh, cataclysms and, and, and makes the earth, the earth shake, he can also bring tremendous favor, love, and, and financial blessing, on the other hand, for the body to do what they are required to do in this very dire hour. hour. Uh, so, uh, so what is the great transfer of wealth? Well, uh, like I said, C. Peter Wagner kind of uh, put the finger on it in the subtitle of his book, Financial release for advancing God's kingdom. We could add to that advancing God's kingdom in the end times. So what are we talking about? Well, I believe in the end times, there's going to be a tremendous transfer of wealth that's going to come from the coffers and the, the, the money that the wicked have usurped, have taken for themselves throughout the centuries. Uh, and we know who the wicked are. There's the, the, the 13 Illuminati families, uh, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, and, and, and a bunch of others who, who took wealth, who made, some of them made wealth, uh, many of them made wealth um, in an in a illegal way. They usurped it. They stole it. They planned for it in a, in, a, in a demonic way. And they got, they acquired wealth illegally. And let's not forget, the Bible tells us that everything belongs to the Lord. All the gold and silver are his. So it's only logical to think that in the end times, God would make a huge move to transfer this wealth because uh, Proverbs tells us uh, that uh, the, the wealth, I think it's in Proverbs 13, the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the just. And we're going to see how that applies as we go along. Now, for some people, and I know a lot of people might have heard about the transfer of wealth recently because it, prophetically it's been there's been more and more 
people, men and women of God who've had uh, either visions or dreams or revelations about it coming or being actually in, in, the, in the moves right now, being done right now. So uh, it's been it's been trending. Let's just put it that way. It's been trending in the body of Christ and in the spirit. So a lot of people are made aware, myself included, that this is a thing that is actually coming. This is a thing that is actually in the works right now. So I know there's misconceptions about the transfer of wealth. Some people think that uh, just like that, they're going to wake up one morning and there's going to be a million dollars in their bank account. And I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but I'm saying there's there's some uh, requirements for us to uh, meet in order to be made managers of this wealth. So in order for us to be uh, trusted with a certain amount of wealth, God has to test us. We have to be uh, basically proven worthy to handle this wealth. And we're going to see how you prepare for that. That's why I titled this Preparing for the Great Transfer of Wealth. So we're, what are we talking exactly? Hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, millions of dollars? No. I believe that this great transfer of wealth will be unprecedented. It's going to be something that we have never witnessed in the history of mankind. Because on the same token, I believe that the amount that was stored up by the wicked is unprecedented in the history of mankind. So there's going to be a transfer from their stuff, from, the, from their accounts, their closed stuff, to the, the vaults and the accounts of the godly and the just uh, and the good. So it's going to be a tremendous thing, and it's going to be something that's going to blow our minds. So I don't believe it's going to be just millions. I'm talking, I believe, trillions and even quadrillions will be transferred to the body of Christ, to different individuals in the body of Christ, uh, in different, um, um, not positions, but in different, uh, who, who are operating in the spirit, who are trustworthy to handle bi uh, big amounts and who will serve to distribute it. But I think there's more to it. See, as the more I meditate on this matter, I think that if this happens before or during the tribulation, it's quite possible that much of this wealth will be required not only to spread the gospel, not only uh, to see hearts and minds turn to Jesus Christ, but I think it's going to be also required for to enable the saints to navigate these difficult times. So there's going to be a ton of, of reasons and, and uh, roles that this wealth is going to play, but uh, it's going to help to spread the gospel of the kingdom. It's going to help the saints survive. It's going to help the saints uh, get rid of some debts. Uh, it's going to help the saints get out from under the beast system from which we've been under for so long. So there's a multitude of facets to this transfer of wealth that that, uh, that explains the reason why it's going to happen. Okay. So uh, it's going to, the amount is, is going to be astronomical. It's not going to be done. I don't think it's going to be done overnight, but I think it's going to be done uh, on a steady basis over the course of, I don't know, months, uh, maybe a year or two. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But I think it's going to be uh, a, a, like, um, you know, when you have these uh, these uh, sand uh, thingies that you, you you spin around and you see the sand go down. I'm, I don't have the word for that. Uh, forgive me. But it, see, it's going to be uh, like this. It's going to be like something that's going to be going on and on and on and on and on. And we're going to see it happen. Uh, I believe also that it's going to come from many different sources, uh, all like uh, 
all at the same time. It's going to operate under different uh, transfers, all kinds of transferences. Uh, for example, if we take uh, the flood of uh, Noah in Genesis, when the flood happened, a lot of people think it was just rain, but it wasn't just rain. Okay, we read in Genesis uh, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12, we read this about the flood of Noah, how the water uh, came. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the sky's windows opened. It rained on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, we know from that passage that there are the fountains of the deep. For, for those of you who have a, a well on your property where you get your water from, which is my case, you know, there's there's water underground. All this burst open all at once. Now, that's a lot of water coming to the surface, okay? <laughs> right away, you had a surge of water coming up. But you also had, uh, it says, the uh, the sky's windows opened. And I'd have to research the Hebrew, but I've heard some commentators say that uh, it wasn't just the sky's windows in the sense that, you know, a, a figurative speech saying, well, it started to rain. No, it was there started to rain. Of course, there were clouds. It started to rain. But the sky's windows, some people think that there's a firmament where the, the vault, there's more water stored up that actually those things opened up, those, those doors opened up, and it started flooding the earth. So we're talking about multiple sources where water was stored up that it all came crashing down at once, which brought the water to come so high, higher than mountains, and brought the ark way, way up. So I believe that the transfer of wealth will be in a similar fashion. It's going to come from many, many different sources, unexpected to the body of Christ. But for those who are prepared, they will be chosen by God to administrate this, this wealth in a way that will make the kingdom advance to its fullest right before the end comes. I think there's going to be a, a tremendous time for the body of Christ coming. So the wealth transfer will deliver God's people from financial hardship. That's going to be one thing. So it's going to play that part. Obviously, there's going to play that role. Okay, so it's going to deliver God's people from financial hardship, help them to start businesses, so God has plans. God wants his people to be industrious. He wants his people to have plans to advance the kingdom, plans to, to do things that bring value on the earth. So it's not just going to be, boom, you wake up, there's money in your bank account. It might be, but there's going to be a purpose behind it. It's not just going to be a cash coming, like raining from heaven. So I want, I want to make that clear. Uh, it's going to help believers get out of debt. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna so it's gonna bring deliverance on the one hand, but also provision. And here's the difference, okay? When you're in financial hardship, uh, there's there's two things that can help you. There's deliverance, okay, and there's provision. Now, the first one, deliverance, is for example, uh, your mortgage is, is due, but you lost your job a couple of months ago, and your mortgage is due in five days. And the bank, the bank made it clear that if you don't pay your mortgage, they're, they're going to take your house. Let's just put it like let's just put it like that. Well, deliverance in this case would be you get up one morning and supernaturally uh, there's money in your bank account that serves to pay that. Or one of your long lost uncles uh, dies and leaves you an inheritance and, and, and you just get the money just on time. 
or you get up and you go to the mailbox and boom, there's a check from something that you never expected that shows up that day that enables you to keep your house. That's deliverance. You were just delivered from a, a dire situation. Now, provision is long-term. Provision, well, there's two things in the word provision, and I've talked, those who've been listening to my broadcast, I've, I've talked about these two uh, words for a long time. Uh, pro means ahead, and vision, well, vision means vision. So it, provision means to see ahead. So when God provides, when God gives uh, provision for you, he helps you to see ahead and to plan and to have a a plan that you, a vision that you set forth that enables you to, for a long-term income. So that's provision. So there's deliverance, which is sudden, quick, and, and just to help you uh, get out of a dire, a dire straits. And there's provision, which is a plan, which is something you implement day by day by day that is uh, unfolds as you do it. So provision is very different. Now, concerning the great transfer of wealth. Is it scriptural? Well, yes, it is. And we're going to see why, but obviously uh, there were some great transfers of wealth. So there are precedents in the Bible for transfers of wealth. The one that might come to your mind right now is obviously when uh, there was the Exodus, when the Israelites were finally freed after the 10 plagues and they left Egypt. What happens? It says that they left with all of the wealth of Egypt. Well, not all of the, of the not all of the wealth, but a lot of the wealth of Egypt that they left with that. So that their neighbors would give them wealth. So, so it was a transfer from the Egyptians to the Israelites who were slaves who had nothing. A there was a great transfer of wealth that happened then. And there's other instances. We know Abraham uh, became very wealthy. Uh, it, there was an instance where. The Pharaoh gave him uh, some wealth because he had, you know, considered his wife Sarah. He thought it was she was her sister, and uh, he felt bad. Gave him wealth for that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, there's Joseph as well. We think of Joseph when he worked for Potiphar in Potiphar's house. What happened? Potiphar didn't give him the wealth and say this is yours now, but he said it's under your jurisdiction. Because Joseph had proven himself worthy and capable, Potiphar had given him his whole household to, to manage. So Joseph's greatest gifts was not his ability to interpret dreams. See, most people think it was his ability to interpret dreams, which, which was a spectacular gift that God had given him. But I think his greatest gift was his ability to manage what was uh, given, what was trusted, uh, what he was trusted with. I think Joseph was a master at this, and, and it was amazing how he could take something and just, because he had the favor of God with him, it could just uh, uh, grow and uh, it, it could transform and become a blessing for whoever uh, put him in charge of that. So uh, who is it for? Well, the great transfer of wealth, like I said before, will be for the body of Christ okay, in general, but the wealth itself will be entrusted to those who have the ability and the character to handle it. Now, this is very important. And that's who you want to be. You want to be one of those people who will prove themselves trustworthy with the character and ability and knowledge to handle that wealth. And we'll get into that as well. And obviously, are you ready for it? That's one of the questions that you need to ask yourself tonight. Am I ready for this great transfer of wealth? Like I mentioned earlier, uh, I learned a lot about the transfer of wealth from the late 
C. Peter Wagner, who wrote The Great Transfer of Wealth. It was a pretty good book. It was his last book. It was his swan song. Uh, he wrote it. I think it came out the, the year he died. And Morris Cerullo as well had written a book with the same title, The Great Transfer of Wealth. Very good little book. And I enjoyed it quite, uh, quite a lot. So as we continue this study, I wanted to read from the parable of the talents, because I believe that the parable of the talents gives us a lot of clues concerning this great transfer of wealth. It tells us a lot about God's view of money, how he wants us to administer money, uh, who's trustworthy, who's not trustworthy, and a lot of things like that. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. And uh, in Luke 19, verses 12 to 28, we have this a similar story. It's the parable of the talents, but with a twist. And we're going to talk about the differences between both a little later. But first, I want to read uh, from the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 to 28. So it says this, so I'm, I'm just going to read it from my Bible. It's from the uh, Christian Standard Bible, by the way. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent depending on each one's ability. Now, this is very important. Pay attention on that phrase. I love that phrase because Jesus really specified here that the one who was entrusted five had a certain ability, the one who was entrusted two had a certain ability, and the one who was entrusted one had a certain ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. Now, it's interesting how it says immediately. So he didn't tarry. He did it right away. This guy was, uh, he was driven. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Now, these are the words you want to hear. These are the words you and I want to hear when we get to heaven, when we get to meet the master, we want him to put his hand on our shoulder and say, well done, good and faithful servant. The man with two talents also approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered. 
then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he who will have and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the ending of this parable is very, very interesting. Because uh, you can tell the master, who represents Jesus, is very uh, angry at the servant. He calls him evil and lazy. Those are, those are no small words. And then he says, take from him the talent and give it to the one who has ten. Why? Well, obviously, because the one who has ten knows what he's doing. And he's being what? He's being fruitful. So I'm going to give it to the one who's fruitful who knows what he's doing, who's ambitious, who's motivated, who, in other words, is a uh, good and faithful servant. So that's the parable in Matthew. In Luke, it's interesting, there are some differences, and I'm going to go through them. So there's more drama in the version in Luke, which is in Luke 19, verses 12 to 28. So there's more drama in the one in Luke. Uh, in the beginning of the story, there are wicked men who hate the king, who hate the master. They hate him. So they don't want him to rule over them. So they kind of conspire against him and against his righteous rule. And in verse 14 of Luke chapter 19, we read, but his subjects, and that has to do with how they don't want him to rule, hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. And their judgment of these people in the parable of the talents in Luke is very, very swift and very final. And it's a, it's a verse that you never hear sermons about because it's kind of shocking. Because when you consider that the whole parable is an image that where Jesus is represented as the king and the master. Uh, and uh, the subjects are basically us and uh, different, different types of us. But uh, their judgment of these wicked men, these those who didn't want him to rule over them. So in other words, uh, the, the people today who don't want to have Jesus over them, the people today who are uh, in high offices and places, the people today of whom Satan said to Jesus on the mountain, look and behold, all of these kingdoms, they belong to me, and I give them to whomever I want. Well, the whomever he wants, those are the people. Those are the people who don't want King Jesus to rule over them because they have another Lord. They have someone else that they're serving. So here's what the verse 27 says in Luke 19. Jesus said, the, the figure representing Jesus in the parable said, but those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, Bring them here and kill them in front of me. <laughs> that is not the verse of, that is not the Jesus that most people are familiar with. And yet it is a facet of our Lord that is going to be very real. And uh, when these things happen, when these things manifest, um, it's going to be the day of reckoning. It's going to be a day where the king uh, takes back his due. 
So in the context of the parable, in the context of the parable, like I mentioned earlier, uh, there's Proverbs, uh, let me see here. Proverbs 13.22 says this, okay? Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And the other part of the verse is very interesting. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Other versions say, but the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. So that's Proverbs 30, uh, 13, 22. And I believe that when Jesus gave the parable of the talents, this verse he had on the back of his mind. Because at the end, what happens to the one who had uh, one talent and who did nothing with it? The talent is taken from him. He calls him evil. He calls him wicked, lazy. It's taken from him and it's given to the others, right? So in the context of the parable, who's wicked and who's just? We know that, that God wants us to be good men and women. Now, it says in Proverbs 13, 22, that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We're talking about financial here. And for me, for the longest time, when I would read that, I, it, it would kind of, ugh, it would it would hurt because I felt like I wasn't in a position that I was going to leave an inheritance to my grandchildren. And for a man who wants to do right, for a man who wants to do well, for a man who wants to leave an inheritance for his children and for his children's children, that's hard. So you like you read God's word and you're like, man, it's saying I'm a, I'm not a good man, basically. And if you're a man who, who wants to follow Christ, who wants to follow God, you you want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You want to you want to be a good man before the Lord. So it was hard for me to, to read these words. And yet, even in the parable of the talents, it's kind of reflected as well. So the second part of the verse has to do with the good man. He's the righteous one for whom the wealth of the wicked gets stored up. So here's the thing. When the great transfer of wealth happens, God doesn't send blessings. Now, jot this down. This is very important. God doesn't send blessings, abundance, or wealth where there is poor management. If you have one lesson that you need to really uh, uh, grasp today concerning the parable of the talents is that God doesn't send wealth or more wealth where there is poor management or ungodly management. Now, this is very important for us to understand. So God doesn't send blessings where there's poor management. God will give the sinner's wealth to those who are intent on being good men, to those who are intent on leaving their children's children an inheritance. So the parable of the talents confirms this fact. The ones who had multiplied the wealth the ones who have taken the wealth of the master and multiplied it, they were commended as what? As good and faithful servants. Now, the one who had stored up the wealth, the one who had who was afraid, stored it, put it in the ground, he was called wicked and lazy. And the wealth of the wicked and lazy servant was stored up and given to whom? It was given to the one who had multiplied his master's wealth, to the one who was 
deemed a good and faithful servant. So a good man or a good woman bears fruit spiritually and materially. Now, this is so important because a lot of people miss this in the body of Christ. They think that the only fruit we are to bear is spiritual. And yet, if you look at those who bore much fruit uh, and, and, and in, the, in the history of Christianity, even, even Billy Graham, a lot of people uh, love Billy Graham's humility. They love uh, how he conducted himself and all that. And these were all great character traits of Billy. But something that most people don't know is that Billy Graham's worth when he passed away was around, and this is from sure information, and I got that, and I mentioned this in the, in the book, Five Reasons God Wants You to Prosper. His worth when he passed away was about $25 million. So the man was not only a very good man with a good heart and a heart for the gospel and spreading the gospel, but he was also a good man in the parable of the talents sense. He was able to make uh, money fructify. He was able to handle and to be trusted with great wealth. So that's something that we uh, kind of neglect. Uh, and in another passage in Luke chapter 8, Luke, uh, Jesus speaks of bearing fruit in the parable of the sower. So the seed that bore fruit, we remember the parable of the sower, there's the four soils, right? So the seed that bore fruit, where did it fall? It fell on good soil. So in this passage, we find in verse 15 what the good soil represents. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. That's funny because I remember uh, when I was back, back, back in the day when I was being taught in religion, I was taught that my heart was corrupt, that I was a sinner, that everything about me without Christ was crap. And yet, isn't it interesting that in the parable of the sower, Jesus himself mentions that there are men out there who before they receive the word of God, which is the seed, before they receive it, it says they have a noble and good heart. They hear the word they retain it, they hold on to it, and by per by persevering, they produce a crop by faith, by walking in faith. So that kind of like throws a wrench in the whole machine of your, your corrupt beyond anything um, before salvation. It doesn't mean that you're going to heaven uh, before you heard the word, but it just means that there's different types of people out there, and we need to consider that. So in a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 13, when he explains the parable of the sower, the sower to the disciples, he gives echo to the parable of the talents and to Proverbs 13.22, when in Matthew 13.12, he says, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Isn't that interesting? So again, we have this, this principle of, of those who have and those who do not have. And it's those who do not have, it'll be taken from them. Because see, in God's economy, in God's economy, uh, he, he believes God in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says he has given us the ability to create wealth. He has given you and me the ability to create wealth. If we do not do this, we are failing God on some level. So 
I, 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 there's no, and I, and I've been saying this for a long time. There's no virtue in poverty. And I know for a lot of believers, that's, that's a hard thing. They, they, they go like, what, what? Because in religion, we're taught that there is virtue in poverty, that poverty is more Christ-like. Uh, and I'm not going to open this whole can of worms. Again, if you want to, if you want to know what I really think about all these matters, the matters about money, the matters about uh, Jesus, how how he viewed money, uh, matters about how we should view money, how we should use money, uh, uh, matters about what is uh, wealth, what is what is being rich, what are we required to do with money? All these things I talk about in Five Reasons. God wants you to prosper. And I encourage you to get that book and read it. It's really going to open your mind to God's way of, of considering wealth, of seeing wealth. Anyway, so I'm not going to talk about all these things now because we, we don't have, I don't have all the time to, to cover all these matters. But I was talking earlier about scriptural precedents where there were transfers of wealth. So it's not, it's not going to be, it's going to be unprecedented in its, in its scale, in the scope of it. But it's not going to be unprecedented in the fact that it's happening or that it's going to happen. So that won't be new. It's going to be the scale on which it happens that's going to be never seen before. But there are there were scriptural precedents. I mentioned Abraham. Uh, Solomon also. Solomon. A lot of people think, well, Solomon, because he asked, when God said, ask for anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon was like, you know what? Give me a, a discerning heart. Give me wisdom so that I can uh, lead your people. That was a great thing that Solomon did there. Uh, and God, because of that, God gave him supernatural wisdom that, that eclipsed everything before him. But he also gave him great wealth beyond anything that had ever been seen up to that day. Now, it's interesting because in 2 Chronicles 9, 13 to 14, we read this. Now, the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. I think the number is interesting as well. 666 talents of gold. <laughs> In addition to that which the traders and merchants brought. So it says in that passage that the gold came to Solomon. It came to him, which kind of implies effortlessness. It's not like Solomon ordered the gold. Like if I want some gold today, I have to go on a website order the, the amount of gold I want, pay the, 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 the money that it's worth, and then it's shipped to my house. That's how I have to acquire gold. Now, Solomon, it doesn't say that. It says that the gold came to Solomon. The merchants brought it to him. Uh, another transfer of wealth we mentioned earlier, the wealth that followed the Israelites when they, they, uh, in the Exodus, when, when they left Egypt, was, was astronomical. It was incredible, the wealth that was there. So we talked about all these transfers of wealth. So we know it's happened before. It's going to happen again. Now, here's the question, though. Here's the question for you. It's a question for me as well. It's a question of that I've been asking myself for a long time. Does my character qualify me to take part in the great transfer of wealth? Now, that's a question you need to ask for yourself. That's a question that I ask myself regularly. You, got, you have to check yourself on these matters. Does my character qualify me to take part in the great transfer of wealth when it happens?
There's many things that you need to consider concerning your character, concerning your preparation. How do you prepare for this? Of course, there's number one is faith. Are you in the faith? Jesus said, when, the, when I return, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And if you look at the Greek of that text, it says, basically, when the Son of Man returns, will he find the faith on the earth? They kind of removed the article, the. But it's a very big word, even though it's only three letters, because it, when you understand that there's that article there, that Jesus was in, 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 in essence saying, will the Son of Man find the right kind of faith in the earth when he returns? So that's one thing we have to check ourselves. Am I in the faith? Am I walking in the faith? Number two, there's expectancy. Expectancy. I think an expectant heart. See, I have kids here. Uh, I'm raising uh, with Elizabeth three uh, beautiful children. But I realize that my children always expect blessings from us. Uh, I don't think we overspoil them, but but we do we do like to do things with them, bring them to the restaurant, and all kinds of fun stuff. So they're they're often in expectancy of good things coming from us, and I think expectancy is born from the right kind of faith. When you're in a relationship with God, when you're in sonship, and He's your Father, you have that kind of expectancy of the uh, towards your Father. So you want to serve Him, but on the other hand you know all the perks associated with serving him and that that he's a good, good father who takes care of his children. Number three, ability, ability. I like it in the parable of the talents. And I said that that verse was important. When, G, uh, when Jesus tells the parable, he says that the master gave each to each of his servants according to their ability. Now, this is very important. The Lord has all the wisdom in the world. He knows how much we can handle. He knows how much I can handle. He knows how much you can handle. And, and you know, for some people, $20,000 is way too much. And there's other people for whom $20 million is fine. They're going to handle it uh, gloriously. They're going to handle it uh, to honor the king. They're going to handle it to uh, progress the kingdom of God. They're, gonna, they're not going to abuse of it, and they're going to be generous with it. So, so your ability, also the, the ability also uh, implies, what do, you, do you know what to do with it? It says in the parable, uh, the one who was given five talents, right away he went and he invested it, and he knew what to do with it, how to, how to trade and make more from it. So there was that ability, that intelligence of how to do it uh, with what he was given. Number four, wisdom wisdom we need to be people who walk in wisdom god's wisdom biblical wisdom this is also going to determine if we are someone that can be trusted with the transfer of wealth number five knowledge knowledge of god himself knowledge of his ways knowledge of his will what he wants us to do with this money and, and knowledge of how the world works. These are all important things, all important uh, uh, layers of knowledge that we need to have in order to be deemed trustworthy when the transfer of wealth comes. And number six, I think this one is the most important, generosity. Generosity. 
Uh, I like what R.G. Letourneau said. It was a Christian. I have his book here. Just give me a second. It's right here. So he was a Christian entrepreneur who had uh, who had a very successful company of earth-moving equipment, so bulldozers and trucks. Uh, that the, the, the all the these big uh, rigs that that. Uh, uh, sort of, I, I think you can see it. Mover of men and mountains, R.G. Letourneau. And this man was a faithful Christian. He loved the Lord. He loved the Lord very much. And his company was very, very successful. And millions and millions of dollars he made with all of his equipment. But what was particular about R.G. Letourneau is, is that he gave 90% of his profits to all kinds of kingdom-oriented charities. And he lived on 10%. Now, now you might argue 10% of what he was making must have been pretty comfortable, and, and I won't argue with you on that, but still, it doesn't matter. It's the heart that matters here. He gave so much to the kingdom of God, and he had a saying. He said, it's not a matter of how much money I give to God, but rather of how much of God's money that I keep for myself. Now, that's what I call having the right mindset. R.G. Letourneau understood what he was given and what was expected of him. And he passed, basically, the money test. And see, most of us, many of us, fail the money test. Oftentimes, I mean, I failed the money test more times than I can remember. And I, I won't go into details here, but... But I, I'm still learning a lot about how to pass regular money tests that God puts on my path of how much of God's money I keep for myself and how much I give to the works of the kingdom of God. That's the ultimate test. And that's going to determine, does your character qualify you when this uh, great transfer of wealth comes? Are you qualified to be just a recipient of some of it to maybe get out of debt or, or, or maybe to pay your rent? Or, or are you qualified to become one of the administrators of this and bless the body of Christ in a huge way that is going to contribute to advance the kingdom of God so that the end might come? Because these, these two things go together. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. And we forget that too often. And also, so you have to, you have to build up your character in such a way that you become qualified, like, the, like the, the one in the parable of the talents, who had those five talents, and he was given, uh, who, had, who had acquired ten, and he was given the one more at the end. He had really passed the money test. He was... Uh, trustworthy. He was generous. He was smart. He was ambitious. Uh, he, had, he had wisdom. He had knowledge. He had ability. He had desire to please the master. All these things contributed to him uh, being deemed worthy. So in the book that you see at the bottom of your screen, uh, okay, let me point it properly. So five reasons God wants you to prosper. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to give you a part of it here that actually it's a part I took it from a Charisma magazine. So in the book, basically I quote from Charisma magazine, uh, uh, an article that I found that, that was uh, titled seven discernible signs. The spirit of poverty is attacking you. It was by author Dave Williams. 
So uh, the author identified seven symptoms that characterize the spirit of poverty. Why am I talking about the spirit of poverty? Well, you will definitely not qualify for the great transfer of wealth if you are plagued, if you are hindered by a spirit of poverty. By the way, Five Reasons God Wants You to Prosper was written with the specific purpose of enabling believers, enabling people in the body of Christ to get rid of the spirit of poverty. And I know what I'm talking about because I was plagued with it from a young age, okay? I grew up in poverty and then I joined a religion that had a poverty spirit and I was taught that poverty was uh, godly, basically. And so I, I became uh, very corrupt in my thinking concerning money, concerning wealth, and it was not aligned with the scriptures at all. But God got me out of it. Uh, all of these bad mindsets, all of the, these big problems concerning thinking uh, and properly about money. And uh, I was so elated and I was so blessed by all, all this new, uh, these new revelations for me. That was like the, the whole body of Christ needs to know this. Everybody who serves the king needs to know about these matters so that they too can be freed uh, from the corrupt mindset that the spirit of poverty brings upon us. So anyway, all this to get back to uh, what I was talking about in the book uh, that was that I took from Charisma Magazine, an article. So I'm going to give you the seven symptoms that characterize a spirit of poverty. And you're probably going to, if you do have, if you struggle with a with, uh, spirit of poverty, you're going to recognize that. I remember when I read that, I was like, yeah, I used to, I used to be like that. I used to think like that. I used to, and it's not pleasant, but it's necessary. It's good for our sanctification. We need to get past that if we're going to be ready and prepared adequately for the great transfer of wealth. Okay, number one, they are repelled by what they classify as materialism. So for some people, materialism might be having a new car. For some people, materialism might be more than that. But, but the point is we all have a, a, a view of what materialism is. And if you are repelled by anything materialistic, chances are you're struggling with spirit of poverty. Symptom number two, a person with a poverty spirit is in denial, comforting themselves with words like, everyone has debts, or others are experiencing the same thing, or, well, it's just the way it is, others are in the same boat. So you kind of rationalize not having enough money, having more month at the end of your money, uh, struggling, uh, so we rationalize it saying, well, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. That's the way it is for most people. I'm no different than Joe across the street and the Jack at work or whatever. So we rationalize it and try to make it normal or okay to not have any money. Symptom number three, the poverty spirit convinces people that money matters are shameful to talk about, especially in church, thus lack is presented as a virtue or some kind of righteousness. Oof, this one, this one hurts. <laughs> this one for me was, was, that was the main thing for me. I was so religious. I was so uh, minded with uh, being holier than thou and, and, and that uh, anything money related was materialistic and that it was not, that's not what God wants me. God wants me to be spiritual. So anything material is wrong and bad, and I, sh I it was to be shunned, right? Symptom number four, judging successful, productive, ambitious people as money grubbers 
or thieves. That too, I, I had to, I struggled with that. Symptom number five of a poverty spirit, making excuses about why others are doing better, their good breaks, etc. They always seem to come up with a reason why they are superior for having less. <laughs> Symptom number six, this dark spirit encourages people to judge others as shallow if they think of or learn about or act on financial matters. So a spirit of poverty will, if you, if let's say you, you have a friend in church and, and you have a spirit of poverty and they tell you, I'm going to this financial seminar. Uh, I want to learn how to invest my money and grow it and invest in, in real estate or do this or do that. Uh, and then your, your attitude is like, well, come on, man. Why would you want to do that? Like, why would you want to become a, a ambitious and, and make more money and, and start, you, you're a lover of money, be careful. You're gonna like start saying religious stuff like that. And symptom number seven, this spirit will, leave, uh, will give a believer a sense of being more spiritual or mature than those who want to succeed financially, giving the believer a sense of moral support, superiority by having less. So you can always find all, it's very easy to open the Bible and take scriptures out of context and justify being broke, being poor, uh, to make yourself feel more spiritual or advanced on the path to holiness. It's very easy to do that. And I used to do it a lot to my shame. Uh, I broke out, I broke, I broke free from that, praise God. And I want to help other believers to break free from it as well. So uh, it's all in the book. The book is all about the mindset. It's not a recipe book on how to become wealthy. It's a recipe book on how to break free from the thinking that's going to keep you broke. Okay. It all starts here. If you don't fix here, it doesn't matter. Even if you inherit a million dollars tomorrow, you're, if you're not fixed here, you're going you're gonna to ruin it. You're going to mess it up. Okay. All right. So I think that covers it for tonight. I mean, I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to talk about all kinds of that. I mean, there's so there's so many ramifications when it comes to the spirit of poverty, uh, not the spirit of poverty, uh, to the uh, the great transfer of wealth. There's so many ramifications and, and things that I could have talked about. I'm just going to mention a few here. Things that newsings, things that I have not concluded for myself, things that I think about, things that I research when I have time. Uh, things that I ask God about that I still don't have the answers to, but things that I encourage you, if if I mention them tonight to you and it, 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 it stirs something in you, maybe God will uh, enable you to find the answers that I haven't found yet. Uh, doesn't mean I won't find them later. Maybe you'll find them. You know, God bless you if you do. Um, I've been on a lot of... Uh, I don't know if I could call them rabbit trails, but when I think about this great transfer transfer of wealth, it's a prophetic uh, thing that a, a lot of great men of God and women of God have been calling forth and saying is coming in the end days, including C. Peter Wagner, Morris Cirillo, uh, and others. And um, it's something that you need to kind of uh, basically, I'm, I'm not teaching this as a, hey, 
this is it, it's coming and, and be sure of it. I'm teaching it more from a point of view of, hey, look into this, this is very important. And if it is true, and I believe it is, that's my personal conviction, and I reach that conviction through prayer, research, reading my, my the Bible, and understanding the ways of God. So I've, read those, I've reached those conclusions for myself. Now, you don't have to believe me, but what I do ask that you do is that you do your own homework, that you research this stuff for yourself, and come to your own con conclusions. And hopefully, you will find my musings, my my uh, hypotheses, and and, and uh, thinking to be interesting at, at the very least. Well, uh, so as I did this research, I, and I've been doing this research for for months on end now, and I, I, it came, it brought me to many many questionings of all kinds. But it made me, it brought me to think about the philosopher's stone. We hear, uh, we've heard about the philosopher's stone. I mean, they know they talk about it in mad and in those who practice magic and and uh, Harry Potter. But there's a lot of stuff that that's been used by New Agers and and magic practitioners that has been usurped or basically hijacked from the Bible. So I I, I make light of that. But it's interesting. The philosopher's stone is described by the History Channel as, and I'm going to read it to you. From the Middle, the Middle Ages to the late 17th century, the so-called Philosopher's Stone was the most sought-after goal in the world of alchemy, the medieval ancestor of chemistry. According to legend, the Philosopher's Stone was a substance that could turn ordinary metals, such as iron, tin, lead, zinc, nickel, or copper, into precious metals like gold and silver. So there's more to it, but I just wanted to share that. I, I was thinking, is there possibly, concerning this great transfer of wealth, is it possible that God might have given in, the, in times past, or maybe now, when he does this great transfer of wealth, will he give the, the mysteries, if you will, of this philosopher's stone to some people in the body of Christ? And hence... The transfer of wealth would be made into a reality. I thought about that. I think about these things. <laughs> Another question I asked myself is, did Melchizedek, Abraham, and Solomon, did these guys maybe have, did they tap into the secrets of the Philosopher's Stone, unbeknownst to us, unrevealed in the scriptures? Who knows? Maybe they did. These are all. These are just questions that I've been asking myself, and and I hope uh, you you will uh, humor me as I share them. Obviously, uh, when it comes to great transfer of wealth, also I know there's a lot of uh, controversial things when it comes to QAnon and and Nasara, uh, Nasara Jasera, and all these things. Uh, free man on the land. Um, uh, some people are saying that we're going to get back to the gold standard somehow, that God's going to do a great work in America, and America is going to be basically rebuilt from the inside out by having the, um, uh, what's it called, the, um, the Federal Reserve abolished and going back to a currency that is backed by the gold and silver standard. That would be true wealth. That would be miraculous. That would be amazing. Is it possible that it'll, it'll be linked to all this? It's it's possible, right? I mean, obviously. So uh, I've been thinking about these things. Uh, we know, for for example, uh, I mentioned Melchizedek. We know he was a, a priest king. He was very wealthy. 
uh, and his name meant king of righteousness. Now it's interesting because the name of Melchizedek meant king of righteousness. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, when talking about our daily provision, Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well and the scripture also says that we are uh, priests and, and kings after the order of melchizedek now he's he was said to be the king of righteousness and we are told to seek after his righteousness and jesus said and all these things meaning food clothing shelter all your daily needs will be looked after I think these things are all interesting. They're all, um, I, I mean, I can't really quote me on that because I don't have any conclusions concerning all these things I just shared here at the end of this broadcast. But these are all uh, things that I encourage you to research for yourself. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of good people saying a lot of good things. Now, chew the grass, spit out the hay, uh, like Paul says, um, uh, retain that which is good retain that which is good so so basically um, be open to a lot of different ideas and chew on them and pray on them and present them before the lord and ask him questions and retain that which is good because god's going to show you some pretty amazing things in, in these end times i hope that this broadcast has uh, helped you i hope that it's helped you to understand what the great transfer of wealth is i hope that it's encouraged you to walk in even more integrity to prepare even more adequately because you know the, this preparation i talked about whether i'm wrong or right even if they, let's say there's no transfer of wealth and it's not going to happen well guess what if you do this type of preparation these are still good and godly steps that every believer should put forth for themselves so it's still good in the end it's still something that you should be aiming for anyway to become one of those good and faithful servants like in the parable of the talents to be more like the one who had five and, and less like the one who had one right that's something we should all aspire to so i hope this broadcast has blessed you if it has make sure you click that like button on youtube uh, and that you click the subscribe button also to uh, be subscribed to our Thriving on Purpose channel. Uh, share it with friends, uh, with people on uh, social media to bless other people. Uh, may God be with you. May God bless you and keep you thriving on purpose. God bless. I'll see you next time.